Welcome to Politics Unright. My name is Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being with us today. We have a special guest. We know what's going on in the pharmaceutical industry. We know what's going on in the healthcare industry in this country. And that's why we bring you some of these very intriguing guests who know what's going on within the system. Antonio Chacha, president of Three Axis Advisors. He led government affairs for the Ohio Pharmacists Association, a trade organization with a strong track record of advocating for drug price and transparency. Antonio has since spent years studying the pharmacy uh, marketplace, publishing several analyses on the drug price and code and pulling the rug out of what he believes is one of the most dysfunctional marketplaces in the world. He doesn't only believe that those listeners of Politics No Right know that that is a statement of fact. El Senor Antonio Chacha, welcome to Politics Done Right. Hey, great to be with you today. Look, first of all, thank you for being here. We have a whole lot to talk about in a, in a fixed amount of time. So let's go ahead and get busy on this. You were part of a new report, the PBM Accountability Project, that shed quite a bit of light on issues related to the drug industry. Tell me, first of all, what's the genesis of that particular study? So as we know, in the prescription drug world, it, things are really expensive and they're very complex. And to boil it down, Drug makers are for-profit companies. They would love to charge as much as they could get away with. They sell drugs to drug wholesalers who would love to charge as much as the market would allow them to get away with. And they sell to pharmacies who ultimately have the interest in doing the exact same. The question then is, who's working on our behalf as consumers? And there are companies known as pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs that act as the middleman between the employer, the plant sponsor, or the health insurer ultimately working on our behalf to negotiate discounts off of the uh, members of the drug supply chain. However, our research has shown, and not just our research, but more and more research uh, done by others, is showing that PBMs who were once hired to make things cheaper have actually over time started making more and more money to the point where they're actually larger than the drug makers and pharmacies themselves at this point. I want to stop you right there because I want to come with a very important question. Are PBMs private, private companies, for-profit companies, what are they? Yes, pharmacy benefit managers are for-profit. The largest ones are publicly traded and all reside on the Fortune 15 list. Stop, so please. we're talking about some of the largest companies in the world. Thank you. Now, whose idea was it to believe that having a private company in, as an intermediary between the pharmacist who tries to maximize profits and the drug uh, and the uh, the drug companies the drug companies who want to maximize profit and pharmacists who themselves are for profit that somehow that wasn't just going to be an additional cost whose great idea was that <laughs> I, I think it's an idea that evolved over time because let's be let's be fair PBMs were architected to truly do something that they needed to do which was make sure that they were finding balance between what an acceptable price on a pharmaceutical was, and then to also just facilitate something as simple as processing the claim itself. But over time, they realized that, hey, there's a lot of opportunity here to buy something at a, ve a very cheap price and sell it at a, very at a very high price without the end payer having enough sophistication to know that perhaps there's any grand amount of delta growing in the middle. And so really it's something that evolved rather than was somebody's harebrained idea in the first place. Uh, but I mean, um, you, you are, you've, been a, you've been in this economic system for a very long time, haven't you been? Absolutely. Born and raised in a pharmacy household. Uh, it's a mess. 
I, but again, my question to you is, and I, and I, I have to repeat it because I think the answer is so simple. Why would anybody have believed that somehow that concept would have been successful? I think it's a very fair question. I think it's an existential question for the PBM industry as a whole. There are some things that can be done to at least try and calibrate their for-profit nature, right? There are things like fiduciary obligations that a lot of companies have that have to that require them to act in the best interest of, of their clients or their patients in this, in this regard. But none of those requirements exist, which means that PBMs today are free to do as they please. And as we've shown, they do do as they please at great expense to consumers, not all the time, but often. Let me ask you again, do we need them? I don't believe we need PBMs as standalone entities, but I do believe that we need the functionality that they provide. For example, many drugs are too expensive or don't have tremendous value. And so PBMs at an ideal level should act as somebody who's knowledgeable enough and educated enough on pharmaceuticals to say, A, whether or not a drug is worth covering for a health plan in the first place, and B, what a fair price for that pharmaceutical is when they purchase it either from the drug maker or from the pharmacy. Those are good things to have as necessary friction in the marketplace if you are going to have a market-based system. And so then the question then is, is when do their incentives run awry to the point where they start compromising that necessary friction and instead pouring more gasoline on the fire that they were hired to control in the first place? Now, I, I am, you know, I, I may be lost completely, <laughs> Because I am still, you know, I've asked you twice already, and I, I, I know you're asked, answering it properly within the context of what exists today. What I'm trying to gather in when, when we're talking about these particular issues and fixing these particular issues, whether we need to go to the core of these issues, do we need them? I, you, you gave, you gave a, an answer that I think is a very good answer. In other words, we have to determine if, um, you know, what's a good price point for a product. In healthcare, I don't know what the good <laughs> price point of a product is because, again, most of these darn products were developed by the taxpayers in the first place. Initially, the initial, the initial research, the initial thing that said this may be viable, wasn't it? Wasn't the drug companies saying, um, "Let's do these experiments on faith"? It was universities and research labs by the NIH that are doing these things. You, you, gave a, you gave a statement of what the market will bear. What does having what the market will bear have anything to do with what drug prices should be? I think it's a, fair, I think it's a very fair question, right? Uh, at the end of the day, in the U.S. system, we're very unique in this regard. We want a system that incents drug makers through profits to bring new innovative products to market. Now, whether or not we get truly innovative products, we'll leave that off to the side. But that's the system that we have, that we want drug makers to have adequate profit incentive so that they invest in more research and development, sometimes with government help, sometimes predominantly with government help, to keep the churn of new medicines coming so that either they'll stay ahead of disease or do a better job of treating disease. Now, whether we get fair bang for that buck is a totally another question. But that's the system that we have today. I want to ask you that question because you're the expert here. You're the one telling me what you have found. Mr. Chacha, is that, uh, have we been getting a good bang for the buck or not only that, are drug companies 
giving us the bang for the buck? Or are we just commodities used to make a profit for somebody? So unfortunately, and this is not to be cagey, right? But PBMs were brought in to find that necessary balance. And so we've entrusted them as a market force to find that intermediary space to say, look, you know, if drug maker A wants to charge $100 for something that really has a value of 50, the PBM's job was to come in and say, we're only going to pay 50 for that drug, or we're not going to cover it. Instead, what the PBM has done is they said, look, we're happy to cover your drug as long as you drug maker give us a big rebate in exchange for covering it in the first place. So what you have is, look, we could argue whether or not a market-based system will ever give us what we deserve, all right, as consumers. But if we are going to have a market-based system, then you need that sort of accountability that a PBM or something else could provide. Unfortunately, that we don't have that today. They've been compromised. And so we're stuck with a system that is just in an autopilot off of a cliff. Why I wanted you on this show is because that report intrigued me. Okay, I didn't read the report. I'll be honest. I read the synopsis of the report, but it, it, it justifies or it qualifies everything that we talk about on Politics Done Right. But you're the one who did the research. You're the one who found the truth. You're the one who came up with the same conclusions that some, uh, 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 somebody like a, a political activist like myself would always have always known. Now, my question to you as a person who has done the research uh, shouldn't we really do away with uh, the way our drugs are partitioned to the within our system altogether, and 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 look at it at a more uh, a less for profit based system and one that actually values humanity a bit more? So I think that there are, and I I'm, I'm not an economist. I mm-hmm. study drug prices. I am a nerd, uh, and I think that there are very there are competing opinions on what a let's say a government-run drug distribution system would incent from an innovation perspective. Whether we like it or not, a tremendous amount of the research and innovation in the pharmaceutical world comes from American investment, okay? And so we do get a lot more new products, whether, again, they have great value propositions. I, I, want, I want to stop you there because I, I, I don't want us to tell my audience something that isn't, that is a pharmaceutical statement and not a statement in fact. And here's, here's my question to qualify what you're saying. And I'd like, like, like to hear your, your statement on this. And that is specifically, you said we privately invest a lot. Yeah. Let's look at Claritin, Clarinex. Two drugs. Oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Claritin, Clarinex. That was a, a large investment. Our, 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 our pharmaceutical companies spend a lot more on marketing than they do on research and development. And a lot of research and development come by way of NIH-type grants, whether, whether immediately obvious or somewhat, somewhat obvious when the pharmaceuticals investment is purchasing a professor at a university. That's it. My question again, should we give pharmaceuticals that statement of fact? I mean, I'm an engineer by training, all right? That's what I am by training, an engineer. I didn't need somebody to give me $100,000 to innovate. The people within the pharmaceutical companies, the engineers, the scientists, they're not the ones that partake of these great profits. So where do we come across saying that somehow innovation is relative to profits when the innovators themselves pretty much work at a fixed cost? 
I think that's a fair question. I, I have to concede I'm out of my lane because I'm not an economist. I don't understand what that lack of incentive would do to the drip of innovation. Incentive right? for whom? Incentive for whom? For the, for the uh, drug makers themselves. For because those they're not the ones that invent, makers. right? The ones that invent are not the, the, the money guys. I don't know enough about the research side of things, right? Okay. So the actual researchers. Fair, fair enough. I don't know what drives, fair drives enough. anything. Fair enough. Great. But again, you, I, I think your research on that the paper that you did was conclusive, important, and not only that, I think it, 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 it is something that we need to get out there. Tell us a little bit about your company, because I was intrigued by, the, by, by what, what, what you do. So I, I study drug prices every day. Uh, it's probably why I'm not good at studying markets. Uh, but we look at what's happening in the marketplace, how prices change day to day. What happens when a drug goes from brand to generic? What happens when more generic manufacturers enter? And what happens to price when competition hits that generic marketplace. So one of the things that the whole reason we got into this was in my home state of Ohio, we ran into a problem when I was working with the pharmacist association there, the pharmacists were complaining they weren't getting paid enough on prescriptions. Now, whether they were right or wrong, I went back to state officials and said, hey, you got these big cuts happening at the pharmacy level. PBMs are paying pharmacies less and less for the drugs. Did I miss something? Are you saving a bunch of money now? And they said, no, we're spending more on pharmaceuticals than we ever have. So to me, that disconnect didn't make any sense. How could you cut pharmacy providers and then not see the savings on the other end? Well, we ended up looking at CMS publicly available data to see what the state of Ohio with Medicaid was being charged on every single prescription drug on a quarter by quarter basis. And what we found was that over time, there was a growing gap between what pharmacies were paid and what the state was being charged. PBMs were taking advantage of the opportunity to slap hidden markups over top of those medications and not disclosing them back to state officials. When state officials finally opened the books, they found that $244 million in what we call spread pricing was being layered on the top. Now, again, without having a tremendous sophistication on drug pricing at the time, that was beyond me because everybody complains about drug prices, but how could the payers of healthcare, a state Medicaid program, not know about $244 million of just hidden markups, which taught me that we all complain about drug prices, but we have a very small understanding of how the sausage is made. And so we started doing what we do to expose what that sausage making process looks like. Mr. Chacha, let me just tell you, you are a very important, your, your research is a very important portion of this entire medical fraud that we have in this uh, in this country. Now, I know you don't refer to it that way. You refer to it simply on mathematical and technical basis, basis. and I think that is important to solve an interim problem. I think the problem is a lot deeper and hope that studies like what you have done and studies by others will prove the, in, in my humble opinion, the fraud that our, not, not only our pharmaceutical system, but our entire medical system is uh, compared to the rest of the world. It has nothing to do with innovation. Scientists, like my, uh, scientists and engineers like myself, we don't require the kind of funding that, uh, or the kind of money and profit that's in the system. We never see it, in fact. We never do. Um, but I want to thank you for, first of all, for what you do. Secondly, for coming here on Politics Done Right to expose it. But I always have a last question for everybody, and it's a free-for-all, free to say whatever the hell you want to say. What would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? 
I thought you asked really good questions, to be honest with you. What I what I would preach, though, is a greater sophistication on how drug, drug pricing works. To your point, whether you think that this system needs a complete overhaul or you think we need an entirely different you know, marketplace dynamic within healthcare, not just pharmaceuticals, to me, we deserve to know how our money is being spent on pharmaceuticals. You know, you walk into a CVS pharmacy and buy uh, an M&M's, you're going to get a receipt that's you know, uh, 10 feet long. Yet when you buy drugs from the PBM that owns CVS pharmacy, they won't tell you how, how they spent the money. And that's true across the drug channel. It's a lot of money that we spend on pharmaceuticals in the United States. We deserve an itemized receipt so we could better understand how to better calibrate that marketplace or, in your instance, maybe make a decision to do away with it altogether. Antonio Chacha, president of 3Axis Advisory. It really was my pleasure to speak to you, and I learned a lot from speaking to you based on your research. So thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.